For everyone who believes in Christ, the law has been terminated as a way to gain a right standing before God because Christ has earned that standing for us with His life and with His death. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series titled Human Responsibility. Sadly, our world is full of religions and faiths that acknowledge the God of the Bible, but lack a true understanding of His gospel and His righteousness. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans to explain the gospel of God and the fact that man cannot obtain righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. How then should we as Christians live? By being a champion of this truth and being willing to share such good news with our friends, family, co-workers, and all who do not know Christ. Are you doing those things, friend? Well, as Tom will teach in today's message, the free gift of salvation is for all those who repent and believe in Christ. That is the message of Romans 10. Let's join Tom as he opens God's Word now on The Word Unleashed. Acts 26, 9, So then I thought my, to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, now think about this, Paul actually did these things in zeal for God. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. You can only imagine the techniques and methods that were used to force first century Christians to blaspheme Christ. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul continues to talk about this zeal that he had as a Jewish person for God. Galatians 1 verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. Paul says, I was more zealous than, than all of them, or most of them. And he says it this way, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So Paul says, listen, I can tell you from firsthand experience before my conversion and after my conversion at the receiving end of it, the Jews are zealous for God. But there was a fatal, a fatal flaw in their zeal. Look at verse 2, Romans 10, 2. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, notice this, but not in accordance with knowledge. Their zeal wasn't matched by knowledge. Now, the Greek word that he chooses for knowledge here is often describing practical knowledge as opposed to purely theoretical knowledge. 
Because the problem wasn't that the Jewish people had no knowledge of the Old Testament or of God's will. They certainly did. But they lacked the applicational, practical knowledge of how that truth applied to them, especially, as we will see in verse 3, when it came to how they could be made right with God. They were ignorant of this reality. Now, let me just say that, again, there is a crucial point for us here. In today's Christian world, zeal is often valued far more than knowledge. Ironically, for example, I would say to you, even some Christians with good theology will attend, uh, for example, a charismatic church and be tempted to be impressed by the zeal of their worship, as if zeal is of greater value than knowledge. Here, Paul reminds us that people can be extremely zealous for the true God and not even be redeemed. As John Calvin wrote, it is better, as Augustine says, to limp in the right way than to run with all our might out of the way. In other words, it's it's a lot better to limp in the truth than it is to be zealous in error. What knowledge did the Jews and and often other religious people lack? What was this lack of knowledge? Verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Notice Paul says, they did not know God's righteousness. They didn't know about God's righteousness. Now, immediately what's clear? It's clear Paul is not talking about the attribute of God, whereby God is inherently righteous in his own person. They knew that. They, that's all through their scriptures. I just shared an example with you a few minutes ago. So he's not talking here about that. The Jews knew that God was a righteous God. Instead, he's using this expression, God's righteousness, or the righteousness of God, as he has used it throughout this letter already. Let me remind you of how Paul has used this expression so far. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. After a brief introduction, Paul introduces his theme, the theme of this letter, in verses 16 and 17, and this is what he writes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. So this, this letter is about the gospel of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, spiritual rescue, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now watch verse 17. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God, God's righteousness is revealed. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, it's a kind of righteousness that is from faith to faith. It begins with faith, it ends with faith. That's a way of saying it's entirely of faith from beginning to end. So Paul says, I'm talking about in this letter the gospel, and at the heart of the gospel is God's righteousness, which is entirely of faith from beginning to end. Now that begins to lay the foundation. But then, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul shows us the need for the gospel. And he first speaks about the 
the pagan who doesn't have any clue of, who, of the revelation of God except in general revelation in the creation. He doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have the Scripture. He ought to know about God simply from the creation, he says. Then in chapter 2, he comes to the Jews, and, and he indicts them and all religious people who have some connection to the true God for their lack of trust in the gospel. Chapter 3, he talks about all man as being guilty before God, beginning in verse 9, running down through verse 20. Now, he finally comes back to the message of the gospel in chapter 3, verse 21. Turn there with me. Here's the gospel. So this is picking up, if you will, where verse 17 of chapter 1 left off. He's proved the need for the gospel, and now here's the gospel itself. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. So what I'm saying to you isn't, this kind of righteousness doesn't come by obedience to the law, but it was witnessed by the Old Testament. You, you find evidence of this, this way in the law and the prophets. What am I talking about? What is this righteousness of God? Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Now watch verse 24. Being justified, receiving a right standing before God. That's the righteousness we're talking about. It's the righteousness which has its source in God. How do I get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he clarifies it even more in verse 24. We, we receive this righteousness. We are justified. We are declared right with God. As a gift, you don't earn it, it's a, it's a free gift that's given by His grace. It's, it's solely God's doing. And how could God do this? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Go over to chapter 4, verse 3. He gives an Old Testament example, two of them actually, one of Abraham and one of David. Notice Verse 3 of Abraham, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what he's owed. But here's how you're made right with God. Here's how you get this righteousness that is God's righteousness. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man, notice this expression, to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. That is a definition of God's righteousness in the book of Romans. That's what Paul's talking about back in chapter 10. Go back there with me. The righteousness of God is God's gift of righteousness or God's gift of a right standing before him and you receive that gift by faith in Jesus Christ. Even here in the context of our passage, Paul uses this expression in the same way. Look at chapter 10, verse 6. He speaks of the righteousness based on faith. We'll see that, Lord willing, next Sunday. You see, zealous religious people are often ignorant of God's gift of righteousness. They're often ignorant of how a person's made right with God. 
That means, by the way, that they're also ignorant of the character of God. They don't see God as as holy as He is. They're also ignorant of the true requirements of His law because they think they can keep it well enough to satisfy Him. And they're also ignorant of their own sinful hearts because they think they're better than they are. So there's a whole lot of ignorance going around. Now this problem of an ignorance of God's righteousness is still very much alive and well in the 21st century and in North Texas. There are faiths in our world that zealously worship the true God, just like the first century Jews did, but lack this knowledge of God's righteousness. Certainly, modern-day Judaism would be an example of that. Roman Catholicism would be another example of that. The Church of Christ is an example of that. Many of the churches of Christ embrace baptismal regeneration. There are also many well-known cults that are attached to Christianity that lack this knowledge of God's righteousness. And they also have at least one additional damning flaw. They're either wrong about the person of Jesus or they're wrong about the Scripture. Talking about cults like Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Sadly, this same ignorance about the gift of God's righteousness can be found in people sitting in churches just like this one where the true gospel is taught. Why? Because we are inherently self-righteous. We're born self-righteous. And even after we come to faith in Christ, we keep trying to make it somehow about us. As Spurgeon said, even though we understand we can't earn our way to heaven, if you're a true Christian, you understand that, we just want to have a small part in the last mile. That's all we want. But folks, if we could earn our way into God's favor, if you could earn your way into God's favor, then why in the world did God send His Son and put Him through the cross? It's irrational. What that means, what the cross means, is it is impossible. That other option is impossible. Now this failure to understand God's righteousness is always intimately related to another fatal flaw, and Paul touches on it in verse 3. The first flaw is not knowing about God's righteousness. And, here's number two, seeking to establish their own. They always go together. When you don't understand God's gift of righteousness, you're only left with the other option, and that's what you pursue, and that's what they did. They were, notice, continually seeking. That word seeking is a word which means to devote oneself with serious effort, to strive for, and what were they devoting themselves with serious effort to? To establish, or literally, to set up their own righteousness. What is their own? Well, their own implies that they themselves are the source of this righteousness instead of God. Remember, you got God's righteousness. Now you got their own righteousness. So how did the Jews and how do religious people today seek to set up or establish their own righteousness? It's very simple. All it means is that you try to earn your own right standing before God based on your efforts, your obedience, your merit, anything with your attached. It is a righteousness that comes from your own efforts. It is self 
righteousness. And this is a fatal flaw. Notice Romans chapter 9. He ends verse 30 by talking about the righteousness which is of faith, which is by faith or out of faith. There's the one approach. But Israel, they instead pursued a law of righteousness. That is righteousness based on law-keeping. It was their own righteousness. Verse 32, they did not pursue righteousness by faith, but as though it were by works. This is the problem. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified, is not made right with God, doesn't receive a right standing before God by the works of the law, that is, by keeping the law, but through faith in Messiah Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. It's like, Paul, how many different ways do you have to say it for us to understand it? And here's the problem with seeking to be justified by the law. Look down at chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 10. For as many as are of, that is, who rely on the works of the law, they're under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Look, if you want the option of pursuing your own righteousness, you have a serious problem. Because that requires complete obedience to every command. Not just a few, not just the ones that fit your personality, but all of them. And that brings you right now under a curse. Verse 11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, documents these two different approaches. And he says, before I came to Christ, I was taking option one, and I was striving after it with all my heart. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, true believers glory in Christ Jesus. That's where our confidence is. And we put no confidence in the flesh, that is, in ourselves, in our own righteousness. And he says, but look, if you want to establish a checklist of, of righteousness, I'm in. Here's my list, and he begins to document it. He says, if you want confidence in that, I, I'll outdo you. I've got more. And he gives a list, beginning in verse 5, of all of his achievements, all of his advantages. And then he says, but whatever, seven, whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish. Scubalon. It's the most polite word for excrement that you can use. That's what he says. It's, it's excrement to me. And then he says this. Verse 9. Notice the contrast again, just like in Romans. He says, I want to be found in Christ, and here's the option I don't want. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from my keeping of the law. I don't want that. Rather, what I want is that righteousness which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Those are the two options. Now go back to Romans chapter 10 and look again at verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. In the case of the Jews and all who have the Scripture, this ignorance of the way of salvation is not because of lack of information. It is a culpable ignorance, and he's going to show that in the rest of chapter 10. It's self-imposed. If you have the Scripture, you know this is God's way. It's not enough to know about the way of salvation. You have to, notice what he says, subject yourself to it. How do you subject yourself to the gospel? You accept it as God's word to you. You're willing to turn from your sins. In fact, as one of the reformers put it, the first step to obtaining the, the righteousness of God is to renounce your own righteousness. Not only do I not have enough righteousness to earn my way into your favor, all I've got sin. And then you have to put your complete confidence in the life and death of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. Sadly, most religious people refuse God's gift of righteousness and desperately try to establish their own. But to do so is to desperately misunderstand what Christ has accomplished. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now we may come back to this verse, but for today, let me just summarize Paul's meaning. He says Christ is the end. He's the terminus. He's the termination for the law to everyone who believes in him. He doesn't mean in every sense. doesn't mean we don't have to obey God's basic moral law anymore. He means Christ is the end of the law, the termination of the law in this sense only. For everyone who believes in Christ, the law has been terminated as a way to gain a right standing before God. Because Christ has earned that standing for us with his life and with his death. As Charles Hodge puts it, we are no longer under the system which says, do this and live, but under that which says, believe and you will be saved. Christ is the end of the law as a way to earn righteousness with God. Now very quickly, let me just give you a few ways we should respond to what we've learned. Number one, examine yourself. Ask yourself this question, do I understand the biblical means of salvation? And have I submitted myself to the gift of God's righteousness by faith alone in Christ alone? Or am I still trusting in my own righteousness in some way? If you're trusting in yourself, in anything you are or have done, then you are not saved. The only truly redeemed are those whose righteousness is in Christ alone. Number two, admit the true spiritual condition of all those who lack the knowledge of God's way of salvation or who have refused to submit to it. What I mean by that is admit they are lost. They need to be saved even if they are religious and zealous or in North Texas terms, just good people. It doesn't matter. 
They need to be saved. So number three, desire and pray for their salvation. Number four, share the biblical gospel with them. And number five, celebrate Christ as the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of his series, Human Responsibility. Tom will have part seven for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.